Hello and welcome back to Back to the Books with Isabel Flynn and Kieran Sanger. A podcast where two millennials discuss their recent reading, new releases and current literary happenings. So just keep watching. Oh, no, nope. listening, listening. No. <laughs> And welcome to Back to the Books. The global economy is collapsing, the apocalypse is upon us, but you might want to read some books, so that's why we're here. Um, I am Isabel and I'm joined by my lovely co-host Kieran. How are you, Kieran? Hello, Isabel. Do you know what? I'm actually, I'm all right, considering the world is pretty much on fire right now. That is good news. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, you know, I went for a run today. I've got all my life admin done. But do you know what? We're here. We're alive. We're healthy. We're here to talk about books. I couldn't be happier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, anyone who has listened to our previous episodes will know that they were a little while ago. Um, We have since, you know, aged about two years and gotten grown up jobs. So you'll have to forgive us if we are a little bit rusty, um, but we will do our best to bring you some great book recommendations. And today we are focusing on cozy comfort reads because I think we can all agree that in this time, those are what are really needed. So. Oh, completely. I mean, for me, reading has always been, you know, such a pleasure, but lately like with work and whatnot I have felt like it's a bit of a chore so do you know what as awful as the situation is it's been quite nice to love reading again you know sort of get tucked up in bed and you know read a chapter or two each night or just you know spend the afternoon in the garden reading with lunch it's just nice it's really really yeah, nice yeah yeah 100% and, and um Kieran and I are always because I mean I'm I work a fairly normal standard life but uh Kieran works a lot and we're always talking about how you know he never has time to read he needs to take more of a break for himself and, you know it only took the literal end of the world to uh to get him some time to get a couple of pages in so you know silver linings and all that small silver linings but they are there but you know what I'm, I'm getting to read a lot of books now so th- thanks apocalypse yeah yeah hurrah <laughs> Yeah, points for the apocalypse. Um, Anyway, so as I said, we are going to be bringing you some kind of cosy comfort reads. So whether you fell out of the habit of reading and now you suddenly have more time and your sort of uh, apocalypse resolution is to read a bit more, we've got some recommendations for you to get started. Or if you love reading already and you know the comfort and the presence of mind it can give you and the escapism, uh, we'll hopefully get some books to add for you to add to your TBR piles. So uh, yeah, should we get into it? Let's get into it. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going first. And for me, nothing brings me cosy comfort and reassurance like fantasy books. They're a proper escapism and I really enjoy being able to kind of burrow into the world and just forget the hellhole that we all live in. (laughs) So my first recommendation is going to be the Winter Night Trilogy by Catherine Arden. So this starts with The Bear and the Nightingale, and then the next two books are The Girl in the Tower and The Winter of the Witch. All the books that we mentioned will be listed in the show notes wherever you're listening. So this is a beautiful trilogy of books. It's set in a fantastical medieval Russia, um, caught in this ideological struggle between their traditional folklore and the new kind of orthodox Christianity that's spreading across the country. And we follow the protagonist Vasya, who is the youngest child of a very minor noble who looks after a few villages in the wilderness of northern Russia. She is very independent, she's very strange, and she kind of seems like this wild creature to the people around her who have very um, traditional and conservative expectations of women. So Vasya's mother dies giving birth to her, and so she grows up kind of knowing very little about where she comes from, but 
Over time, we learn that there's kind of magic and witchcraft in Vasi's lineage um, on her mother's side. And because of this, Vasi is able to see and communicate with the spirits of the traditional Russian folklore who live in the houses and the forests and the stables. Um, so to everyone else, they're this sort of superstition, but to Vasya, they are real. And as Vasya is growing up and coming to understand herself and her abilities, her father remarries and his new wife insists on bringing um, a Christian priest into their lands, which creates this enormous amount of disruption. So this priest is beautiful and enticing and he seduces the people of the villages away from their traditional beliefs. The villagers are taken in, their attention to the traditions wane, and this kind of weakens the spirits who watch over them and act as kind of benevolent guardians and stirs this like ancient evil living in the woods and begins to create these hideous problems that only Vasya can understand. So this is a just it's such a beautiful trilogy. It's an incredibly rich and layered story, but at the same time, it's very accessible and easy to read. I never felt lost. I never felt confused, even though Catherine Arden never sort of takes you aside and, you know, lays everything out for you. The, the reader is immersed and she, they kind of learn as they go, which made it a really kind of a wonderfully um, deep and, and, and interesting experience. And the novels really take time to fully flesh out the characters as well. And even your most virtuous heroes have flaws and even your most, you know, the boo hiss kind of villains have elements you sympathize with. And that for me is something that I really value, um, even in a fantasy series. Um, in fact, everything has nuance and complexity. So while in the first novel, the church is very much set up as the bad guy, the relationship between the new and old religions becomes a lot more complicated throughout the trilogy. Um, Vasya is a very standard feminist figure going against the traditions of her time. But we also meet other women who follow the more conservative path, who are also clever and capable, and they find their power in the strict gender roles allotted to them rather than going against them. So there's a lot of kind of nuance. And, and every time, you know, the book seems to make uh, a grand stand about something, it reveals that there is a nuance and there is another side that you have to consider. And it shimmers with this deep, ancient magic. And at the same time, it's just a story about people and how we navigate tradition and change, how we react in the face of fear and how we find ways to bridge our differences. It's just unusual sometimes, isn't it, with fantasy to be that immersive and to really take the time to tailor the characters and the nuances whilst um, setting up these worlds, but, you know, not alienating because... I think some fantasy books, I mean, you've read more than I have, but I think some do have that capacity that can almost be too much, that it almost alienates you rather than be the immersive experience you've just described there. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It's definitely got, um, it's got a beautiful balance of being um, this really, really complicated world. But at the same time, Arden only really shows you what you need. And uh, there's hints that everything, that there's more to it, there's more outside of it, but she's not desperate to like pile the world onto you. And at the same time, I think fantasy tends to work in tropes. So, you know, we all know, you know, Shining Knight, Maiden in a Tower, mm. Evil Prince, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Whereas this, you know, she has really taken the time to create characters who um, exist, they move through, you know, they're not cardboard cutouts moving through a set, you know, they're, they're people who are navigating uh, a difficult religious, like, shift in society, difficult social issues and political issues as well. And so, yeah, it, it's got a lot more depth to it than I think people would expect of a fantasy. Mm. Um, it's also a story about how like good and bad are incredibly reductive. As I was saying, you know, everything is complicated. Everybody has their reasons for what they do. And I think in a culture where we do tend to brand a person or a situation with a label of good or bad, and then just like mm. move along, you know, you've been on Twitter, you know, um, <laughs> I think that's a really good message for a book to consider and allow. I don't think mm. 
that everything needs to be, you know, that everything is either pure or degenerate. And there we go. That's the line move along. Um, so yeah, I, I would really recommend this as a cozy comfort read. I, um, found myself so immersed. I read the second one in a day because I was just desperate to keep moving. And there are moments that will make you really sad. There are moments of like utter hor horrific tragedy. Um, but at the same time, there's so much redemption and there's so much growth in all the characters and there's so much love between the family, um, the family who kind of act as the circle of main characters around the protagonist. And I love that as well. I really like the idea of Arden exploring that grey area like you say you know no one is inherently good and no one is inherently bad yeah because I think real even though it's fantasy I think that echoes real life you know in real life there aren't just good people or bad people you know good people make mistakes bad people have you know some qualities but you know it's reductive because there's no such thing as you are good and that is that you are bad that is that they all yeah exactly there's a bit of an intersectionality there yeah, you like know, I'm not out here. Um, yeah, like I'm not out here saying like Harvey Weinstein is secretly a lovely guy. Like no, you no, know, no, 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 no. <laughs> Enjoy like... your coronavirus, dude. Oh, um, no, yeah, but... completely. But like, yeah, I mean, more but... like a society people. Exactly, exactly. You know, you know don't um... go out and be like. I'm a bad guy. I'm going to do bad things, you know. Exactly. Like... Everybody, you know, it's like Jurassic Park, you know, it's always the best intentions. Yeah. Um, you make and, a choice it, as well. Yeah, like... exactly. And I think being able to kind of meet in the middle with people who had good intentions, but who are hurting you and having a discussion about why and attempting to kind of reach some kind or bridge some kind of gap is much more valuable than just butting heads on Twitter. Mm. But yeah, that's, yeah, we're, we're moving off the book. Back to the books. There we go. Back there to our tagline. Yay, Yay, I've missed this. I've missed the I tangents. need like a bell to like press every time we say it. Like, ding, ding, I, think ding, it ding. Should, I think it should be, just be a drinking game, to be honest. Shot every time we tangent, you will be absolutely plastered. There we go, listener. Now you know what to do on the next episode. <laughs> So for my first comfort read, it's not so much a book, it's more an author who writes so well about kind of just living your life and the everyday nuances of just doing ordinary things, but he writes with such warmth and comfort and sort of brings out the best in humanity, you know, through the ups and downs of life. And that author is David Nichols. Isabel, you've not actually read any of David Nichols, have you? I have not. I am tragically underread in the David Nichols department, but you know, you might you, convince you've got me. Time. You've got time. Yeah, you've got time this now. This is true. Got... No excuse now. No excuse now. Um, so for me, David Nichols, I'll quickly interject with a story from when I was younger. So when I was in year seven or eight at school, so that'd make me 12 or 13, I was given a copy of One Day by David Nichols, which follows the story of Emma and Dexter. Basically, each chapter is a year with them, and then the next chapter is the year later. So it's the same day, but every year for 20 years, he followed the these two people. And I just fell in love with them. I loved, kind of like what you were saying, Isabel, you know, there's no sort of good or bad area you know they both had their flaws they both had their perks yeah. and you know trying to just work a relationship around their two opposing lives you know Dexter goes into tv and production and ends up you know drinking lots and taking drugs whereas Emma becomes a teacher she's a lot more sort of conservative and sophisticated 
and yet they you still root for these characters even though they make awful choices and sometimes you think oh gosh they're so frustrating but Morons. you still root for them yeah exactly but you still root for them and you know like say Nichols writes them with such compassion and warmth so you feel like you actually know these characters and so I read this when I was 12 13 and I loved it so much that at the time on his website you could feedback you could write a little forum thing and send it off to him you know and I wrote it just being a little bit of a fangirl <laughs> I loved your book so much and really nicely he actually wrote back oh, wow. he sent me an sent me an email saying how much he appreciated me reading the book here's some other books I sh- you know should be reading and he told me that they were filming the movie of one day in the following year and if I wanted to come out and be an extra but because I was so young obviously uh, no chance I could go oh, but it was that's just not fair. so just lovely a, a, random, I know. a random child walking around you know why not that's completely fine um <laughs> But yeah, that's just my little interjection there with David Nichols. But all of his books that I've read Remember have to take that your same shot, level everyone. of yeah, that's it. Back to the books <laughs> have that same level of compassion and warmth, and just it is for me the definition of a cozy read. So like his most recent book, Sweet Sorrow, came out last summer. And do you remember, Isabel, I bought it and you were like, I might wait for it to come out in paperback because it's a big beast. Oh, yes, that one. Oh, it looks really nice. That, yeah, it is absolutely lovely. So, Sweet Sorrow. But Fat as Hell, yeah. But Fat as Hell, that's the subtitle of it. Um, Beautiful, it but follows... really large. Plus size role model. Yeah, exactly. The plot of it follows 16-year-old Charlie, who's basically flunked his exams. He lives with, He lives with his father, who's a bit depressed. And he's got sort of no aspiration for the future. He doesn't really know what he's doing with his life. He's trapped in a small village just outside of London. And, you know, he enters the summer thinking, right, what am I going to do with myself? And then he encounters a girl called Fran Fisher, who's just this epiphany of a girl and just strikes him. And he's like, I need to be with this girl. I love this girl. You know, yeah, she's just everything he thinks he wants. And then he ends up joining this troupe, this acting troupe that Fran's part of, that put on a production of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, cool. She kind of blackmails him into joining the troupe so so they can sort of date, but not kind of. Um, And it's just kind of a love letter to the summer and love letter to Shakespeare. The atmosphere it's just so visceral. You feel the heat coming from the page. You know, there are moments when Charlie just sits in the field and he reads his books and he, you almost can feel the heat, you know, when you're at school and you'd go for walks in the park or long walks in fields, you feel like you're there and you're really in the memory. But also just how well Charlie's life is written, you know, with his good things like his friends, but also the fact that his dad has depression. But in the book it's not called depression it's just called the illness hmm. which i think is quite a nice touch on masculinity in crisis and how yeah, kind definitely. of male mental health has always seemed to be in a bit of a struggle yeah definitely the way it's kind of this unspoken thing that kind of simmers beneath the surface of a lot of guys lives yeah i think that's really cool. yeah um for me as well what's so good about david nichols is how well he writes about ordinary people leading ordinary lives you know there's no heightened prose there's no flowery language there's no exaggerated 
connected metaphors. These characters feel real. They feel like they could live down the road from you or just next door. And I do hate saying it's so relatable, but it is so true. Like their life and the characters, they do feel relatable. And in a way that comforts you, it fills you with this sense of like warmth. And I can't really explain it. You just feel like you're there and you know them. Yeah. And you you want to know them. And it's sort of like I say as well with the refusal to acknowledge that the illness is depression. I think that's because it's set in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, so like literally no conversations around it happening at all. Yeah. At all. And it's there. Like it's it's in the subtext that like you know what it is, yeah. but just no character admits it. What's also really good about Sweet Sorrow is the fact that Shakespeare is just referenced everywhere. And it is like a love letter to him as well. Yeah. Which is really, really nice. And, you know, it conjures up such an array of emotions. Like it's funny, it's poignant, it's sad. And yeah, it's one of those books that you'll just go through every range of emotion and you'll finish it and you'll just be glad that you read it. And you just feel almost better for reading it as well because it's, you know, you live your life vicariously through these characters and their life. And you'll remember, you know, memories of someone like Charlie at school doing a certain thing or having a school disco. So it's quite nostalgic as well. So, I mean, for someone like us, you know, we're, you know, mid-twenties, but, you know, for someone oh, to read this... Disco. Story, this mid- yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think... Party rings and awkward dancing. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Quavers, what's it's all the snacks. <laughs> but it's just... Yeah, it's really lovely. Really, really lovely. And especially with the weather now being quite nice again... Sweet Sorrow is one of those books that almost recalls the fear of, you know, leaving school and becoming an adult. Yeah. But then also the bravery of if you had a first love, like how did you overcome that? How did you conquer that? Yeah. No matter what you go through. So even though I have mentioned Sweet Sorrow a lot, any of David Nichols' works do that for me. So without a doubt, he's one of my top comfort reads. Oh, awesome. I hate to admit it, but I now really want to read Sweet Sorrow. So thanks. There you go. Thanks. It's okay. Well, out in paperback very soon, $8.99 from your local bookshop. Okay, so my next book that I'm going to recommend is called All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. And I read this Oh, years and years and years ago, and it still stuck with me, which kind of tells you how much I enjoyed it. But um, I had to kind of remind myself of the plot. So I I looked online and I was just kind of looking through Goodreads and, and I tweeted just to kind of, um, or I searched on Twitter just to kind of get an idea of, of, of impressions to, to kind of prompt my memory. And I saw a tweet that was absolutely perfect. And it was by at Renee, that's R-E-N-A-Y. And this person tweeted, all the birds in the sky is like if a book about witches doing magic screwed a climate change dystopia in a pool of glitter. Uh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, basically, I was, I was reading that a... like, yeah, you're not wrong. That's something. Yeah. But that's a good description. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Different. Off the beaten track. So the kind of overarching tagline of this is that a young witch and a tech genius befriend one another as children, part ways as they grow up, but must reunite as adults to save the world. And frankly, if you don't want to read that, you're wrong. 
Okay. Um, I, did, I wasn't expecting that kind of abrupt read it or you're wrong. I'm just letting you all know now. Um, so the story is about two outcasts, Lawrence and Patricia, who befriend one another at school while each discovering that they have unusual talents. So Lawrence is a science whiz and can create these incredible feats of engineering. Um, Patricia discovers that she can talk to birds. They gravitate towards one another in childhood, basically, you know, bound by their weirdness um, but their incredibly different interests obviously pull them into different worlds as they grow up and they fall away from one another um, so Lawrence kind of disappears into this underground technological movement Patricia goes into a magical school and by the time they're reunited as adults the collision of these two disciplines I suppose you would say might be the only thing capable of preventing the end of the world yay oh yay yeah. lovely so um I I won't pretend that this is an intricately plotted feat of linguistic genius, you know, but I also... It's not? No, no, I know. It's shocking from me. But I also can't pretend that I cared. Um, it's quick and easy read. It like bundles you in the back of a car and takes you on this like wild adventure and just never checks around to see if you put your seatbelt on. You're just whizzed away and it is utterly fantastic. But sometimes, don't you think that's what you need? especially like, you know, in a time like this, where there's so much going on in the world right now, everyone's a bit scared, a bit unsure. Sometimes you need to read a book that maybe, okay, isn't the best prestigious literary thing ever, but you are pulled into the story and you are there, you're, you know, on every single page, taking it all in. Sometimes you, I'd rather that than the latest book of prize. Yeah, no, shame, no but... same, same. You know, like I, I love a good, you know, you know, cogitating the complexities of the literature. But also sometimes you just want a good story and you want to care about what happens to two complete derps that you're reading about. Um, and that's definitely oh, that's this sort of thing. Like it is, it is, it is fucking delightful, you know. And uh, but there is mm. cleverness there as well. You know, it, it blends the sci-fi genre and the fantasy genre in a way that really does work and um, that mm. creates this kind of wonderful sort of oddball tone that is hella weird but if you if you're willing to go with it it really it's really enjoyable and really lovely and it just kind of warm fuzzies all over um mm. i was kind of i was trying to think about how i would describe it and i kept coming up with the idea of this is a children's book for adults so uh, okay. yeah yeah so it, it so for me it reads a little bit like a roll dial book in that the childhood um. scenes describe some like really miserable abuse and there's a lot of painful emotions and um, these two have really hard childhoods, you know, a lot like Roald Dahl characters do. Um, but these mm. things are described in a way that is kind of flippant and a bit slapstick, but never laughs at the victim. It always laughs. Well, it doesn't even laugh at, but it always um, makes fun of the kind of hideous adult figures as opposed to the children. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. And, there, you know, there's magic schools and secret laboratories and like huge high stakes, but also... Um, them living their normal lives and so it is like a kid's book in a, in a lot of ways but at the same time um there are also these really interesting and important messages around being who you are and finding things in life that make your heart sing um Aww. yeah no it's really lovely because you know they both start out as outcasts but they both find find things that kind of show them where they belong and show them who they are and through those they both grow and develop into these like really interesting people um and there's also some really great stuff in there about science and nature and how they might, it, it might seem like there are odds, but actually they have this complicated but really important relationship, you know, so um, science. So science. <laughs> when it all ends, we've got science. Yeah, but it's kind of like, That's you know, all. nature might be in danger, you know, nature being endangered 
by technology um but if you think about it that the way to kind of to balm nature and to kind of heal the earth if you like isn't about going backwards it's about creating technology that works in in mm. a kind of harmonious way with nature and at the same time you know science isn't about tramping over nature it's about learning more about it and about learning to kind of utilize it and live with it in the most efficient and effective way and so they might appear mm. at odds but they you know ultimately it is this harmonious symbiotic relationship that we all have to navigate and yeah it's just this zany twisty turny read but it hides some really important questions under the the sparkles and explosions and you know fucking in a swimming pool full of glitter or whatever the tweet said and um, <laughs> I, yeah i think it's a great read for anyone sure. yeah i think it's just a great read for anyone looking to escape for a bit and to kind of care an awful lot about people who don't exist and yeah i'd recommend i think escapism is the right word to use because you know we read books to escape from the troubles of everyday life and i think what's better with books that have that element of fantasy and sci-fi is that it's so far removed from what we know we can invest more if that makes sense yeah definitely i think it's a really good medium to um kind of a little bit like the Winter Night Trilogy, it's a really good medium to kind of look at these difficult and unpleasant and, and sort of quite heart-hitting themes in a way that allows a little bit distance from the reader um, because it is mm. removed, but at the same time, the reader can either really consider about the implications of seeing people who are living lives differently from them or see themselves represented um, in, in in a way that kind of calls to them and, and helps them. So yeah, I, I do think that fantasy is, you know, I think, fantasy is a really underrated medium for dealing with complicated themes i think it uh, mm -hmm. i think it needs a lot more love just saying no definitely i agree yeah. and on that note i'm gonna go start digging a swimming pool full of glitter <laughs> good plan good plan well thank you isabel for your second choice it's quite nice because i don't really read much fantasy or sci-fi but i do get a lot of recommendations from yourself so it's really nice hearing you talking about it so yeah i do think you would enjoy that one actually mm, and i mean i, I it, it's my list um when we took a little break i was like oh i'm gonna add it onto my goodreads so <laughs> yeah it's just really nice getting that wider perspective and just i think what's really nice about having you as a friend is that you've pushed me to read stuff that i wouldn't necessarily read myself because I'm like, oh, I'm scared, yeah, I'm scared. You well. And you're like, no, read it. It's good. <laughs> See, my, mine is less, I'm scared, I'm scared, and more like, oh, but that'll be shit. <laughs> and then you tell me not, tell me to read it, and I'm like, oh, no, it's great. God damn it. <laughs> damn, I really, really wanted to be right that one time. <laughs> so, um, exactly. We're going to go on to my second choice now, which is Matt Haig's How to Stop Time, which is a book I did not stop shutting up about when it came out two years ago three years ago I can't really remember to be honest but I remember when I was a bookseller I got a proof copy of it um those are the days getting proof copies so read it in like two settings and absolutely loved it so for those of you that don't know the book that well the plot revolves around this guy called Tom Hazard who he may look like a 41 year old man but owing to a rare condition, he's been alive for centuries. He was born in like the 16th century, I believe. Or something like that. But he's been around from like Elizabethan England, Jazz Age Paris, New York, the South Seas. He basically seen so much that he now craves an ordinary life. So he ends up taking a job at the local, a local secondary school in London where he teaches history. 
and then here he kind of <laughs> fun. He's like, bitch, I know. I yeah, no, this. that's it. There are sections where he's teaching, and he's like, oh yeah, I remember when this happened, and they're all like, dude, what? <laughs> and he's like, nothing, <laughs> as you were. Um, so yeah, he basically tries to kind of contain his past through these like lessons, um, but the only rule he's given because he has like a mentor at the start is you can't fall in love and obviously what happens he falls in love (laughs) and what's really interesting about this book is matt haig is one of those authors that can just blur lines between genres it's not one clear-cut thing this blends fantasy myth a little bit of science fiction but really contemporary and commercial as well he's i mean this is it wasn't his well like first or second book. This he wrote a few books before this one, but I think this one really sort of propelled him to stardom, as well as his nonfiction titles, Reasons to Stay Alive, and Notes on the Nervous Planet. But as soon as I read this book, I just again I fell in love with the way he conjures real life situations and real life people, even though Tom was born centuries ago you still feel like you know him. You feel like you've seen that guy walking down the street or on the bus or something because there's this air of melancholy and nostalgia he has, which is just so, so lovely. And because it sort of flips between past and present, you do kind of go back on the journey with him, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. It's really, really nice. And... I just loved it. I absolutely fell in love with, you know, the characters and just the way he writes. Again, quite similar to David Nichols. He writes so ordinarily. He can be really beautiful at times, but it's never too frivolous or over the top. It's just right. And then Christmas, again, two years ago, maybe, they did an illustrated edition with Chris Riddell. I don't know if you saw that. It was like that big red hardback. I did, yes. Yeah, that was that looked really pretty. Yeah, really, really pretty. And yeah, I mean, I, I keep sort of banging on about the ordinary life and the beauty of humanity, but it's so true. It's kind of like a, a caution to people falling in love and getting older. It's just reflective on the human life, really. And I think when we're in a time where we've got nothing to do except sit inside, people could start looking back and reflecting on their life. So, you know, the people that are a bit older. And I think this is a really nice mediation on that, on living your life, the choices you make. Could you go back? What would you do? But then also living with the consequences as well, like living with the actions and the choices that you made, which I think is just really, really interesting. Yeah, that does. It definitely, I, I like the idea of the blending of this, um, like somebody who, because obviously we all want to be extraordinary and instead you've got this guy who is extraordinary striving for the ordinary and um, the, the idea that, you know, what, you know we, we all want more time, you know, we all want to leave an impression on the earth, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And this guy's like, no, I have been here way too long. I don't want more time. <laughs> it it is exhausting. Fine, yeah like i am super done now like, listen this planet's lovely but i've lived a very long life i'm just so tired <laughs> i can't watch another politician rise to prominence and then turn out to be a dick i just can't oh yeah sadly it's still going on but 
yeah, no, you're completely right. You know, there's a real insight as well with the character of Tom and how he deals with his depression and his anxiety because Matt Haig suffers with depression and anxiety, which is primarily what Reasons to Stay Alive is all about. He writes it in a way that is, again, to use that word, relatable, but it doesn't consume the novel. It never becomes a lesson on mental health. It never becomes like a preaching sermon on mental health. You know, depression is one of the worst experiences anyone can go through, but Matt shows it so well through these books and how normalised it is and the effects it can have on different people as well. But what's really nice about the book as well is how the character of Tom just appreciates the world that he lives in. So maybe there's a little bit of climate change um, mentioned being talked about in there as well. But I just, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. it. It reminded me a lot of The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, but almost just opposite. Because obviously that he's born an old man and he gets younger and younger and younger as the years go on. So it had that kind of similar... I can't think of the word now. Just a very similar theme to that. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of makes you think of... I haven't seen it, but the Richard Curtis film, I think it's called About Time. Yes, yes, yes. Rachel McAdam laughing in a dress on the poster. <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty much her role in the film. Sorry, Rachel McAdam. <laughs> <laughs> laughing in a dress. But yeah, it's just really, really nice to bunker on down with and just vicariously live this man's life through these pages. Hmm. You know, the structure you kind of flip back and forth between characters and it's you know it's a simple idea to have a man who ages slower than those around him but it's done in a really clever way and the details are really really nice because he feels human he doesn't feel like an alien or he doesn't feel like a creature he just is an ordinary man that just has this condition and it's not even really explained his condition it just he he lives with it and he lives his life and that's it so maybe some yeah. readers might be like, oh, well, I wanted to know what was wrong with him. Science, as we said earlier. <laughs> Science. But no, it's just, yeah, completely lovely. Really, really nice. So much to unpack, so much to really get out of the book. But also it's just a really good story. Really, really good story. So I'd also recommend any of other Matt Haig, any other of Matt Haig's books. But yeah, this is one of my favourites for sure. It's got everything in it that you could want from a title and it leaves you reflecting on your own life in a way, which I think people might enjoy being cooped up in the house with nothing to do. (laughs) The walls are closing in. (laughs) Prison. So those were our recommendations for a couple of cosy reads that you guys might want to try out in these trying, trying times. Um, We really hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, We'll definitely be doing more podcasts, so do feel free to leave us any feedback um, and we will definitely produce a little bit more content for you in the future. We're going to leave a list of the books that we mentioned today in the show notes, so please do check them out. Um, Please also feel free to subscribe to our podcast on however you listen to your podcast just subscribe pretty please but yeah we'll be back soon with a ton more 
bookish podcast to get you through these trying times. Isn't that right, Isabel? Yeah, a bit more bookish content for you whilst you were uh, something to listen to on your mandated on your state mandated one hour of outside time. <laughs> and that's it, no more, no less. <laughs> and your government approved walk. <laughs> we live in hell. We, we do. <laughs> it's sad. We're crying on the inside. But books. Yay! Woo! Books. 